Nice. Brooks Towel, what's up, buddy? What's up, Ted? Good to see you. Thanks for coming through. You, you're from New Jersey? Yeah, I grew born up on the, yeah, born and raised in the Jersey Shore. Okay, dude. So I spent the first six weeks of my life in New Brunswick. Right. Princeton, rather. I was born in the New Brunswick Hospital. Safer. And then my grandparents had a house in the Jersey Shore. Lovely love ladies. Have you heard of Barnegat Light? I heard of Barnegat Light. Okay, it's so weird. People haven't heard of love ladies. Maybe that's just like an... Uh, like an in-town kind of nickname. Yeah, I'm not familiar. But Where? it actually is a place. Pop it up right here. It's like you go down. It's near that Ron John sports shop. I'm sure that there are actually a few in Jersey, right? There's, that's a chain of places I've seen. Is the guy like who invented it, Mr. Ron John from Jersey? Is I, that the deal? I hope it's not Ron Jeremy. That would be weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? How's your summer been, dude? Oh, summer's been lovely. Yeah. I, I, so I usually uh, go to the Jersey Shore a lot during Where the summer. The Jer- where in the Jersey Shore? So... We grew up between Long Branch and Asbury Park. So okay. the northern part of the shore, we call it Central Jersey. It does exist, by the way. Yeah. Central Jersey <laughs> exists. Um, and we're like a little town smack dab in the middle of Long Branch and Asbury. Is it a beach town? It's pretty much a beach town. It is a nice little Jewish community town as well. Beautiful. How busy does it get during the summer, though? Too busy. I you So like during the winter, nine months out of the year, dead. Yeah. Dead. Businesses closed. Everything's cut. Like not, nothing's happening. Is it aesthetically nice over there? Like is the cold weather pleasing there? It's you pleasing, know what I mean? You know, it's not like just an empty boardwalk? No, no, no. It's it's more than that. Like this, the snow gets on the ground. It's really pretty. Nice. You know, it's like nice houses. But once the summer kicks in, every single license plate is that bright orange New York. Every- Dude, you know, it's interesting. Mm. We're, I think we're actually switching from that uh, bright orange and blue license plate. We're just going back to the straight white one. Thank which God. I think it's a good move because that, or- that orange and blue one is very ugly. I, I can it. imagine being from Jersey. Freaking definitely hate it. We, we hate it. It's like a sight of, uh, oh no, the demon is coming. <laughs> but you guys have a, a off yellow License plate. It's a slight state. gold. I'm not oh, a huge yeah, yeah, fan. Yeah, gold nice. to white well gradient. Said. Talking from a true New Jersey guy, it's it, gold. You know, I'm not a huge fan of it, but I don't think it's like terribly ugly. You know, uh-huh. it's not an ugly plate. I look at the New York one. It's like, why did every car have to look like a taxi cab from the driver's plate? And then it just stands out so much. So you see the first one in like the end of May and <laughs> you're hilarious. like, yeah, Memorial Day. Every, everything's going to change. Like people are going to move into these rental houses for the summer. You're going to take every parking spot. It's yeah. all going to be busy. Like nothing's built for it. No infrastructure, no nothing. You just got to suffer through it. So do people rent houses there for the full summer? Is that what they do on the beach? Yeah. Dude, I used to be obsessed with license plates to a point where like my parents were a little concerned, I think. Or they thought it was cute. They bought me license plates, license plate books. Okay. But... I would just be obsessed with like seeing a new license plate. This is like your trains thing. Like every kid has their train face. Yeah, yeah, or like a plane, something like that. You get the wings when you go on the plane. (laughs) Did you hang up in your childhood room? Yeah, a few. And then I don't know what happened. I just kind of lost touch with that. You know, there are a lot of other things from my childhood now that I'm rediscovering Mm -hmm. being a 31 and a half year old male, you know, like entertainment freaking computers and shit maybe video or not video games but sometimes i watch on youtube people play video games that's oh. a weird thing that i do you ever do that? that that's my like oh i just made myself lunch i need these 10 minutes to feel <laughs> yeah, with something yeah, yeah. i'm like i'll sit totally, down and watch totally and like i gotta get something on the tv before i start eating mm-hmm, that's a mm-hmm, must mm-hmm. you know what I mean? like i can't even touch the the um <laughs> apple tv remote before i start eating it's gotten to the point where i sometimes struggle at restaurants where i'm like i need some visual stimulation really so half the time i'm on my 
phone, I'm like not watching something, but yeah. I'm like doing something while eating. Yeah. Um, if I'm on a date, I'm obviously paying attention on the date. I'm very <laughs> yeah, much always paying that in there. De- just a disclaimer. But like, if I'm, you know, with a friend, I'm very close. Like we don't need to talk all the time. Yeah, or I'm like on the tube. Or exactly. Like That's like when I eat with my family. Now I insist that there's music playing because I don't need to hear anybody chewing. So that's why we made a playlist dinner with Ted Jones. It's like 30 tracks, very, uh, very appropriate. No cursing course, for the most part. Uh, but it's like an hour and a half. Just dinner with Ted Jones. You throw that on and uh, yeah. wah, it's on Spotify. <laughs> just want to check, Go check that it out. out. Go check it out. You know what I mean? So let's talk about your life growing up in Jersey. What was the name of your high school and then middle school too was it just like the in right. the town so I'll, I'll give some context also i'm orthodox i grew up orthodox oh, i grew dude. up modern orthodox jew yeah. my cousins so i have four boy cousins and it's my dad's brother and my dad's um bro- uh, sister-in-law mm. they were orthodox for probably like seven years and then like one by one each kid kind of fell off mm-hmm. but it was interesting to see man like growing out the full beard when we went to weddings it was like Half women on one side. And the chitza separates, yeah. So I grew up modern orthodox, which basically means like I'd observe all the laws and things like that. I'd eat kosher. And just quickly to interrupt, they use paper plates too. Like they couldn't use any plates that Oh, they were fully, okay, separate. Yeah. We we would just get two sets, you know, you get the silverware for the meat and dairy. But um, when you grow up modern orthodox, like you follow pretty much all the laws, like you don't do anything on Saturdays, you eat kosher food, et cetera. But like when you go out on the street, you kind of dress like a normal American guy, you know, like you're not doing it, like you don't have any of the payout um you drive a car you do use the internet that's the plural for payas is payout payout yeah yeah it's it's real hebrew right i mean actually i think it's yiddish, yiddish. origin but like payout is like the plural so when you grow up modern orthodox you kind of do everything else besides the dressing up besides like the strictness of it all um do you wear it seat seat i did have to wear it to school but i would not wear it outside of school so when you go to like days Jewish day school, which is what I went to do, did. You'd get there at eight a.m. You'd leave at like five, five thirty, six p.m. You'd be there all day. How many hours during the day were you studying Torah? Uh, too many. Uh, <laughs> too I, I, It was like half and half. Um, and then eight separated. to five. Eight to five every day, and then like as you get older. Wait, what do you mean every day? Monday through Friday. Monday through Friday. Okay. Monday, every normal. We had uh, weekends off, things like that. It's not right, that crazy. Right, right. Um, but like you'd go in, you, it doesn't be like dress code. So you have to wear a yarmulke. You have to wear a seat seat. You have to like wear, you know, collared shirt pants. Girls had to wear skirts, uh, up to the knee. Someone did inspect it every day, made sure. Um, and like, you'd basically be doing Jewish things half the day. Another day, half the day you'd be doing like math, science, reading, literature, all that stuff. It was a pretty normal, I'd say Jewish upbringing. I had a really good school. Um, I had my, my parents were obviously very close. They were like making sure I was doing well in school all the time. And I was, um, but other than that, it was like a pretty nice childhood. Did you have separate classes for the boys and girls? The Hebrew classes were separated. So you, we would learn like a Torah class. It would be just the guys. And then in like another room over it would be another Torah class where it was just the girls. But when it came to like calculus or math, they'd shove us all into the same room and then we'd all be in the same math class. How insulated was the Jewish community where you grew up in Jersey? Was it just like a lot of Jews in that particular area? It's it's not like super isolated. Um, I'd say we definitely like had plenty of non-Jews like kind of living in the area, you interact with. I did like Little League Baseball and, and like no one on my team's Jewish. So there would be plenty of crossover and interactions between Jews and non-Jews. Did you have school sports though and like played against other Jewish schools or, or what? The, we, we, were, we were in the 
yeshiva leagues. So oh, okay. You, if you're and in yeshiva leagues. And did you wear a yarmulke when you played sports? Oh, I didn't play any sports. But, but if, if you were to have. Uh, depending on the sport, yes or no. So also depending on the kid. It could be a more individual choice. Um, but during basketball, you'd see the other schools, a lot of the kids wore like the clip-on keypot. Yeah. So it doesn't like flop around when you're running. Uh, some of us didn't wear a keypot while you're playing sports. But you, we would only play in the yeshiva leagues. We had a hockey team, like indoor hockey. Um, we had a basketball team and we had softball. But what are you talking about the sports? You mean like in football, you wouldn't have to wear it or? Well, we wouldn't, we wouldn't really play football, but, um, in the sports that we were participating in, you would most likely be wearing one, but you also have a couple of kids that didn't. Does Yeshiva University not have a football team? They, I mean, I guess not, right? I don't, I don't, th- if they yeah, are, they're like imagine. D3 down there. Cause that there. there's a kid who played or was playing yeshiva basketball and people were obsessed with this guy he's, wearing a yarmulke. Yeah. You know but, about? Yeah. I know that I, I can't remember his name, but like, yeah. he's, we're popping him up right here. We forget his name though. How good, <laughs> how good is he? I mean, he's probably going to play in Israel or something. I think that or like he's, he's helping for G league or something right, like right. NBA adjacent. I don't think he's NBA talent based uh-huh. on what I've heard, but yeah. like every Jew in like the tri-state area is obsessing about seeing this one guy get to the NBA or wants it to happen so desperately. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of Israel, you ever spend any time in Israel besides birthright? I'm I've, sure done, you went. I've done birthright for that. I did it at the, the like winter break of my freshman year of school of college. College, yeah. Um, that was great. I was like there for like Where'd a week Where'd you go to college? So. We'll get back to it. But. So I went to Rutgers University. Okay. I am Jersey my, born and dude, bred. Dude, that's where my grandparents met. Really? At Rutgers. When oh. it was called, it was called Newark College though. Oh. At, the, at that time, but now it's Rutgers. Yeah, so that's the newer campus. Uh, I went to the New Brunswick campus. I was spent four years of my life in New Brunswick. Okay. Um, so I went there. I studied engineering, fun stuff. Um, and but anyway, back to Israel. We'll get back, back to, to Israel. This. Yeah. So I did birthright while I was at Rutgers for a week, <coughs> and then I went back for my sophomore summer. I spent like a good two months there, um, and part of this other program, working at a startup company. They were doing like drone based uh like well no they are doing solar panel installations and they were using things like drones to survey the land so they put me on as like a couple projects to like take a look at this application program it's so that this can do pop up i didn't really learn that much but it was a fun time uh so i was there for like two months and i haven't been back since so it's been a few years for me going to Rutgers, let's talk about that mm-hmm. how was your experience there because i was an engineering it's a little smaller than like the whole of Rutgers. So I found my way into like the nerds and then got more comfortable. And then as I settled in more, I was like, this place is the best. That's dope. It was amazing. I mean, it, it, it was like, I took it serious academically. I think yeah. I did well. Um, but like, you know, I had your first experiences, you get the drinks, you get the girls, you get that kind of experience too at a state school. And uh, I, I do miss it sometimes. You majored in engineering? I majored in electrical and computer <coughs> engineering is the full name of the major. So can you code? I can. I do that as my day job. Oh, wow. Yeah, Love yeah. that. What's something really impressive that you'd be able to put together coding wise? Um, Like the game, The Sims, fucking Rosebud, Rosebud, Rosebud. Oh, that's a lot of work. That's okay. I, I would love to be able to say I'd done something like that, like yeah. a roller coaster tycoon. Yeah. That guy was like, <laughs> I, I did all this that in like the, all this sick. language. It's the best game. It runs so efficiently. Everyone loves it. And it's like it's one guy in his brain and like coming out so what would be something that is super successful in the app store now that would be 
not easy to code, but something that's on the easier side. Something like Fruit Ninja, Angry Birds. Fruit Ninja, Angry Bird, like the Flappy Bird, probably the best example of a one-man project. Is that when you, you hold down your phone and the bird goes up and then you let it go? It yeah, okay. yeah, and it's like very addictive. Okay. Um, and to program that isn't like that hard. I think actually that's a part of some courses right now. It's oh, like, really? Here's a project, do Flappy Bird, and you like type it out. How would you it. make it? addictive though is that just based on the the movement like can you code to make it more addictive yeah I, it, that's where like you, for for apps and games like it becomes more of the art and like the game design yeah like you can code what you want to if you give it enough time but is it really fun do people really like it is it addictive are different questions that aren't answered by like typing out code into a computer i think the addictive part is really fascinating because mm -hmm. there's probably hundreds of maybe if not thousands of coders at a place like TikTok or Instagram. They're like, how can we get the algorithm to keep people on our app so much? And then the dating apps too. Yeah, there's a lot of cool things you can see like in that design choices that play out right in front of you. If you're, if you know about that stuff, I feel like you aren't going to want to use social media. Like if you know how addictive these things can get, like uh, I feel like I've may have seen some articles like this where it's like this is a doctor who studies addictive games and stuff and they don't let their kids use social media. Why is that? And they go into the article. It's like this is like ruining their brains. It's ruining my brain It's ruining your brain, you know, tone it down a bit, especially when it comes to your kids, because they understand the addictive qualities of it and what really makes it like you you have to come back and you have to return to it. Um, obviously, these companies want it to be as addictive as possible, which I guess makes sense for them. But be mindful of, of some of those patterns and try not to get too involved in it. It know? just seems that like if apps or all app creators in the app store can agree that you can only make something so addictive, it would kind of even the playing field. But it's like the more addictive an app, the more time a person's going to spend on that particular app and then less on other apps it's an arms race yeah, it's like a real I, arms like race i feel like when instagram first came out it was like you were what people were on it for 15 minutes they just put pictures of whatever a, a blurry picture of the moon and then that was it now it's like especially on the iphone you can't reach your thumb all the way to the top right to mm -hmm. x out of the screen you got to use two hands and then once you use two hands you're like more involved with it i don't know i can see my brain sometimes uh getting addictive qualities, but I have done a good job. I'd say myself, um, I'm able to turn off something like uh, if on TikTok, if I get too many bad videos in a row, I'll turn it off. But mm -hmm. sometimes it's difficult with these apps. Yeah. And that's their goal. I mean, I don't, it's like, I don't want, I fault them, but like, I understand how everything works. So I'm just going to accept that this is the world we live in. And not, it's not the one that I grew up in. You know, the world I grew up in is like social media didn't exist. Yeah. I'm it, still like, it was great. I'm that first or that last generation before all that stuff really hit. Yeah. Kind of me too. Yeah. So once, once I grew up and I realized like, oh, if I had this in like middle school, I would not be at this, like, I would not be as well put together. As How I do you right think now. kids are going to evolve? Um, I think the biggest question is for parents, like, what do you do? Like kids are just going to adapt to whatever environment they're put into, but it's up to parents to kind of make sure that they're put into a good environment that shows them, Hey, here's what you should do. Here's what you shouldn't do. Like, don't spend too much time. Like, you know, have a positive self image, like try and think of yourself in a positive way. Don't get too negative. Um, and it's, a, it's tough. Like I don't, I don't envy any parent in the modern day because they have to deal with all the things that we did like growing up, oh, this person was mean to me. Oh, I can't do like all that stuff. And on top of that, they have the world at their fingertips telling them things. Like that is a whole different 
ecosystem that we have no concept of as a kid. I remember, I remember cursing as a kid and getting in trouble. Now you're just seeing hundreds of videos a day with people just cursing. And there's no <laughs> real way to block somebody who's under 13 years old from seeing any video on the internet mm-hmm. that has the word fuck or shit in it. <laughs> well, my dad cursed very young. Not at us. He was a very good father. But, yeah. like, he's cursed like a sailor. So everyone has their different raising strategies. For sure. But there's true is a lot of things where it comes to like a, a kid looking at body image things and they see everyone with this perfect body and they look at them and they're like not even going through puberty yet. And they're like, I want to look like that. I'm like, you're 12. That's like, also a double edged sword, though, too. You're sitting mm-hmm. on the couch watching hundreds of videos a day. And the way to get that body is doing the opposite of what you're doing right. at that particular time. Working for it or doing something yeah. of that nature. There's and so many food, things. Yeah, our food is not so great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Damn. I, I, I think growing up, my the thing I'm most thankful for was I lived in a time where technology was easily accessible, but the, but the social aspect of it was not. I could not easily connect with people, but I could easily play games and learn about the world. And uh, that, that helped me a lot. I had my first computer very young. Uh, my dad put like, e-machines. You remember the e-machines? No, what's that? Uh, they sold these at like Costco and Walmart. They're like desktops and they had like an e, like, eco-friendly kind of theme on them. My dad got me one from like Costco. He shoved it in my room when I was like 10 and gave me an internet connection, which bad idea. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but like I got very early into computers and that's something that inspired me to like, oh, maybe I should do software engineering or programming when I get older. Why did he get you that? Just to learn about the inside of the computer or the he, internet? He, he was a very tech savvy, you know, guy. Like he, he naturally also like computers. He, he's retired. He, okay. he used to own a business um, selling like warehousing, things like that. And selling not tech goods. wise though. Not explicitly tech, but like, you know, he got into computers fairly early and he was always like a hobbyist uh, in everything. Like, right. um, so he got me a computer early, got my sister a computer early, he got my mom a computer. Like everyone had a computer as far as I can remember. When did you learn to code? Um, it was like late high school. I was, I was taking a class, AP computer science. Dude. Yeah. Uh, AP? Yeah, AP. I jumped right into it. They didn't even have those in my school. What? Yeah, yeah. AP class? Wow. I went to performing arts school, so maybe um, that's why it was. And no, I didn't take calculus. And in statistics, I, pr- I pretty much cheated like the whole time. <laughs> Dude, it was just tough for me. Math was never my strong suit. I can do multiplication pretty well. Division, mm-hmm. maybe now not so well, but addition, subtraction. Wow. I'm good with numbers. So we, we have very different because I was the math nerd. Yeah. I was like, if I were in a movie, I'd be shoved in the Bro, locker every math day. Math was so hard. And my dad was insanely good at math, so really? much so that anytime we'd sit down by the end of 15 minutes, I'd be crying. Is your you dad know? like a math person? Or? He, was, he was good at math. Yeah, he works in real estate and is good at putting like real estate deals together. He went to Wharton. So, ah, OK, yeah, he was good at math. Yeah. I don't know where my math skills went, bro. <laughs> but I'm good at sports. I'm not really, my mom is good at sports. I love the so commentary. He's like, but I'm good at sports. <laughs> yeah, which it, now maybe more so matters mm-hmm. you know what i mean like back in the day i was like oh i just wish i was math i wish i was good at math i wish i wasn't athletic yeah. now i'm kind of happy i'm okay at math i, I kind of wish i had more athletic <laughs> athletic stuff growing yeah, but up, it does, you know? yeah but also it doesn't really matter oh growing up growing up growing up yeah, yeah definitely yeah um like i played sports but like yeah i was, I was a little chubby kid like i want to get like as social when it came to like oh we're getting basketball again i'm like i don't want to play basketball yeah. you know um, that's the thing where I look back and I say like, oh, maybe if I spent less time on the computer, things would be a little different. But honest to God, like I learned a lot. It got me in a good career direction. Yeah. And I thought like, you know, it ended up for the best. Do, are any, do any of your friends have projects on the way that revolve around coding? That's something that you might get into? 
Um, I mean, people always have company ideas. Like I keep in touch with a lot of friends from school who are like throwing, I was like, oh, maybe I want to start a company around this, you know, What's idea. like a good idea if, if you're allowed to share? Um, I mean, I, I, I'll keep it general for this one, but yeah. my friend has an idea to sell the, create a platform to sell these pieces of software. Um, to other companies in this one industrial. Oh my niche. god, dude, that's like two things that are difficult. I know it's it's starting <laughs> right? these companies is not easy. Like I don't care what people say, this is like insane levels of thing to bring an idea to fruition and then work on it and then make connections and then try and build it and then build it again and, and like, then raise the money and then and raise the money and then work it in the network and then do everything. And uh -huh. by that time, like five years have passed and you may have not entirely, you might have failed entirely by the end of that. But that's what a lot of people end up doing with the whole startup culture. What's a company that you deem very impressive that revolves around millions of hours of code? Oh God, very that's a impressive. great question, I think. Um, I, I, <laughs> that's a deep one. I mean, yeah. I look at like uh, platforms like Etsy, which is like, okay, you, you, you're, Describe you're taking- Describe what it does a little so, bit. So Etsy is a platform for selling kind of more custom artistic pieces. Uh, independent like artists like hey I made this myself by hand you know it's a throw pillow or it's this little pet like toy thing like what don't you want to buy it for like $200 and I'm impressed by Etsy because they've been able to both build that platform make it efficient create a way such that like people are comfortable using the marketplace because you're selling from sensibly some person somewhere this isn't some like warehouse with like a whole team and people managing and get this so everything already authenticated then if it's just the person who is the user selling it they have a whole system to verify things and present it to to customers like hey this is someone who's reputable they've sold with us before here's some reviews so here's just a more in-depth ebay it's a more in-depth ebay on top of that there's like the whole the recommendations and in my opinion the most important thing was building the brand and marketing around it. Now, when I, whenever I say Etsy, people's eyes light up. It's like, oh yeah, I bought like a little penguin from there and it was cute. And people see it as like the more homegrown like marketplace. I go to Amazon, yeah, I wanna buy like a, a USB cord. Like, yeah, okay, I don't care who made the USB cord. I don't care what factory in East Asia it came out of, you know, but um, when I go to Etsy, I expect quality. I expect something handmade. I expect something that's like fits a very specific niche. And that's a platform I look at, I say, wow, like they really built something good and unique here. Um, and I, I've used it before, I've enjoyed my time using it. Whereas I go to other platforms, like I'll go to Amazon and I feel like that's just, all right, I'll just go to Amazon, I guess. Well, why wouldn't you think that Amazon is more impressive though than Etsy? It's impressive, it's it's different, right? Amazon is for everything. Like you get your generic stuff, you get you can get your groceries, you can get your boxes of whatever, you can get your electronics there. And that is impressive in and of itself, but it's such a massive thing in my mind. I accept it as just like, this is something that was gonna happen anyways, um, to where I think, oh, okay, yeah, it makes sense. But I look at Etsy and I say like, oh, they created a unique, product that stands out. It's not just like a place you buy things. It's a cool and unique platform where you can get art from like artists and independent people. Let's go this way. What do you think about crypto? I do not like crypto. No. I so I I, and, I and like you have some. I have I have I had I, I I'm like in it, right? In that sense of I use it as a store of value, but to me it's created it, it, it makes sense. A digital-based currency backed by, you know, in a fiat sense, nothing but its existence. But there's no government behind it. There's the blockchain. There's all these things behind it. And there is merit to that idea existing, especially in the modern world and going forward. 
But to me, when I look at crypto itself, it's not a community of level-headed people thinking, oh yeah, we can use this as a currency and think of it like this and, and the store of value and it can work with the USD and it can work just like any currency. I see nutcases who are advertising it on pure hype of, oh, you need to buy this now. And there are like, this, this is a great hodl and this, and there's like this whole craziness about it that doesn't lend itself to of like a, a normal financial product. Is your opinion of Bitcoin different though, while it is crypto? Right. I think that something like that has a room to exist and I do like its existence, but it's created this almost surrounding community of like yeah. toxicity. Especially like 12, 12 to 18 months ago, people like Justin Bieber buying a $500,000 board ape and now it's worth $10,000. Yeah, and now they're I getting mean, like sued that. out of their minds because celebrities were being used to advertise these things What didn't Are you have. talking about coins? The people who Coins and coins? NFTs and uh -huh. those things are also a spin-off of, of the concept of like what is virtual currency? Okay. What is virtual ownership? I, I really do think those things have a place and will have a place in the future, but don't sell me a scam. Like don't try and scam me because... Uh, or, or the majority of people like by putting the celebrity's face in front of it and you're yeah. going to buy it and then artificially inflate this value to the point where someone just sells it and they've completed their scam and everyone else is left to their own devices. What's the difference between coding for an app and then coding to create a coin? So the, the difference is like, I mean, programming itself is just a tool to accomplish an end, right? It's just a way like I use steel to build a building. I use code to build a platform or an app. Um, building an application is... A task in and of itself. What does your application do? What are you trying to solve a need for? That's a whole different thing of trying to build uh, something that does work. Um, building for like a cryptocurrency is in its sense like a form of programming, right? So you need to create something called a blockchain, which can store all these transactions in a easy to read table such that if I transact, someone else can see it. There's a whole litany of, of computer science tech talk I could say about it. But you need to make sure you follow these protocols, make sure it fits the standards that it could be accepted and work correctly. So once you do that, then it's about, okay, what does my cryptocurrency do differently? Or do I try and like, like what, what is my like currency tied to? Do I tie it to the value of some other cryptocurrency? Do I tie it to the value of like another hard currency? Do I market this like it's a meme and it's going to go to the moon or do i just kind of say oh we're going to use it for our own purposes things like that there's a million directions you can take to yeah, so many steps it sounds like yeah yeah what is like a what would be an easy thing to code like the game of pong is that something that would be an easy thing to code it's, it's an easy fun like homework assignment you know like give you a couple couple days like hey take home take this home here's a little guide uh, have what do you need it. to create that besides a computer? Or you just need a computer? Yeah, you really just need a computer. And a coding program. Yeah, uh, whatever language, some other display, way to display things. It's it, You can even, like, honestly write out a program that prints uh, the image, right, of the Pong going in, like, characters. So it looks like the ball is, like, a little O, and it goes across the screen, and you, like, move the paddle, and it's just a bunch of ones put together. It just looks like someone's, like, writing out what's happening in front of you, um, and that's, like, your graphical interface. Coding is reliant on you writing words and parentheses and numbers and slashes. Yeah, it's, in a sense, it is, like, programming languages are languages. They have syntax, they have... Um, conventions, they follow certain rules, um, all in the effort to essentially tell your computer to do something when this, when something happens or when another event occurs, the goal is to get the computer to do something. Guys like Edward Snowden mm -hmm. 
how did he hack uh, a government computer? Is that what he did? What, what I, was his actual, what did he do? Yeah, it's been a while. I'm pretty sure. So I think he used to work for the NSA, National Security Administration, and he had this access he to- He was a coder? I don't think he was. I think he was just like a like an analyst or something or an agent. I can't remember, but he it's all about having access to certain files and information. And he just pulled that onto USB or something and then sent it out onto WikiLeaks, which is that huge website, which would take leaks of data like that. Um, and that was the crime. It wasn't like he... I don't think I don't think he like hacked or broke any security systems. He had this access and used it uh, against government policy. Are people nowadays able to hack bank accounts though using coding like if they went into the chase website i mean what's the what's the negative connotation to somebody who spends years coding i'm not saying that you'd ever do anything bad bro right i know i'm just saying in general mom mom, i'm listening yeah (laughs) it like coding again i think it comes back to coding is a tool um what you're asking is more like security things yeah it's it's like it doesn't revolve around coding Yes and no, um, but in the same way, like like you do need to know how to code some things and when you work in a security context, but you definitely need to know social engineering, how to gain access to systems by just talking to people, um, being able to, it sounds like spy work. It mm-hmm. sounds like you need to know how to be suave. You need to know what to say to get information out of people. You need to know how systems work. You need to know their exploits. Um, and then obviously you probably need to know like how to program programs that can fit those exploits or use them. It's probably one of the most diverse ways of thought you need in like technology now is security. You need to really get in the head of how systems work, how people work and try to either exploit them or protect against people who are exploiting them. Is coding gonna have a bigger impact continuously on the future? And, uh, and schools are going to start to teach it? If schools are not teaching it already, they are way behind the curve. What about people like me, though, who have no idea where to start? Right. Coding? There, so there are, I think, a lot of a wealth of great resources that can give you an introduction to what computer programming is. What does it do? Where is it used? That are very easy to consume. Free videos on YouTube. Spend a couple minutes just watching them. You feel like you get a better sense of it. And if you want to, there are, I think, tons of free resources, or resources online where you can actually learn programming. You can learn like, oh, this is what happens if I set a variable and I can add variables together. And you start to build those blocks to create something where you're like, oh, I feel like, you know, if I can add variables together, maybe I can make a program that helps me compute my taxes or something. Or if I can do those operations, maybe I can make a little game out of something. And then slowly but surely you build this pyramid of knowledge that's like, oh, I know how Facebook could work. Jeez. It's crazy. What does society look like if our kids take coding from kindergarten through eighth grade? I think it's a more like knowledgeable, like society. People oftentimes have a hard time understanding or like fathoming how our world works in technology. And having a computer background, I can look at websites or apps and say like, you know what? I feel like I have a grasp of what is going wrong here. You know, when like, oh, you try and post a video and like the audio is not working or you're you're trying to work with your bank and you can't log on you have this kind of better sense of like, oh, things are probably going wrong for a certain reason. Maybe if I tweak it, like, like or I just log out, I can deal with it. Whereas if you have none of that knowledge, you're like, the thing is broken, I'm done. Well, I can't in deal a situation like that where the audio levels, let's say before when you were watching it, we're good. And then when you post it, it's different. What's something that you potentially take a look at? So I would take a look at is what, what is the program that I'm using to create the video, right? Um, it's, it's that engineering 
I think, way of thinking of things where you try and find the root cause of the problem. You kind of peel back the layers of the problem. It's like, what could have gone wrong? Okay, so going back to it, I created this video on a certain programmer app. Let's check the app. Maybe if I try exporting a video again, does it sound the same or not? Uh, if that seems fine, okay, maybe go to the platform I uploaded to. Does that, are other people encountering this issue? Um, could it be the format of the file that I've created? Maybe that has an issue with the platform. And then you learn through, I think, programming and other things that it's not just about what you know, but it's about how you can arrive at a solution to a problem. Sometimes I do this, man. I, I sometimes see myself, and now that you're explaining it as a maybe a tech guy, but mm -hmm. the thing I do the most is just like I'll quit out of an app. And bro, the amount of times that Final Cut Pro has just forced quit on me I, and like how I haven't freaked out has been <laughs> unbelievable. You know what I mean? Like we, as, soon as, as soon as something force quits on you and you're in the middle of editing something, usually you're like, ah, but we, now I know it, it keeps uh, keeps my spot. We are in the good. same bro boat my friend we are in the same boat when things crash i get so mad i understand i that's why i have auto save on yeah everything everything should be auto save that is a psa i want to get right now Put when my dad when on. my dad was in college the electricity went out in his dorm after he oh. had been working on a paper for like two and a half hours oh. and then it, it like switched back on and he lost everything oh. calls my mom crying i was like wow oh. yeah you heard me pops <laughs> he sounds uh, like a cat but a crazy <laughs> crazy shit man wow but but i i do want to say it's like you know having a that engineering mentality isn't something you have to be an engineer to be yeah you can just kind of attack problems uh like peeling back the layers seeing what oh what's this root cause or could it be smaller than this and finding the level and the the size of problem that you're able to tackle immediately i think this is related but what do you think of Oppenheimer, if you saw the movie or you, the story. It, it's a fantastic movie. I, I love the movie itself. It's, I haven't seen it yet. It, uh, do you, should I'm I down to. spoil eh, anything? You know, don't, don't really spoil it, but people basically know that this guy created the atomic bomb. Right, right. It's a three-hour movie. It's it's long. Did you pee during it, by the way? I did not. I held what? it. I pee right before, and Still, I didn't. Still, I don't think I would have made it. Well, if I had a drink and I broke the seal, it would be over. I'd be uh, yeah. in the bathroom like four or five times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's what you got to do. So you got to prepare for it, and um, you sit down, and you, you're. I feel very engrossed by history movies. I am very much, like when I sit down and watch YouTube, it's usually like a history video for 10 minutes or something yeah. like that. I'll watch um, these kind of, especially biopics and biographies, because I find them so interesting to see what that person must have been going through or what their life was like. And Oppenheimer does an amazing job of focusing on, uh, you know, Oppenheimer during this time and trying to figure out, like, what was he thinking and going through in the creation of the atomic bomb, the ultimate weapon of destruction. It, it Don't think of it as anything more than, I think, the story of Oppenheimer. And a lot of people have been trying to, like, rationalize the thought about it of, like, okay, but what about the perspective of the Germans and the Jap Japanese during this? Like, what about the perspectives of the U.S. public? In terms of how public? scared they were? Yeah, or, or the, the fallout of it, or, you know, what, what had happened, what impact on societies and governments and geopolitics and individual people and groups and... That those are important topics, but like for the the movie Oppenheimer, you're really gonna look at him, Rob J. Oppenheimer, and you're, you're gonna see like, wow, like this is what he went through and what his experience seemed to have like dramatized, obviously for effect, but a beautiful movie and something that it focuses on a single person and does it fantastically, unbelievable job. What were what were some of the things engineering wise that could be maybe maybe seen as similar to 
people engineering today? Is that not related? Or the one hundred percent common thing you'll always see between engineering is problem solving, right? How do I, I have a big problem I need to solve? You know, the government has said I need to build this big bomb or something by you know as soon as possible. Well, that's a huge problem. So, okay, how do, I, how do I break this down? Okay, well, first we need to figure out how to concentrate fissile matter. Like, what is the process? Okay, we break that down. Oh, well, we probably need to take uranium or plutonium. Maybe we should enrich it. Like, it's not in a good enough concentration. Should we enrich it? You break things down to smaller and smaller, more dealable pieces. And you can learn that, oh, that's how, the best way to solve the ultimate problem is to build up by solving the smaller ones. If I were to walk into a room tomorrow and someone said, hey, build me this app. I need it, I need it in two years. I'm gonna be still stressing, like, I don't know what to do. Well, okay, I need to build this app. Okay, well, well, let's focus on this platform. Okay, let's maybe build this component first. Let's build this MVP. And slowly but surely you break it down, break it down to small manageable pieces. And eventually you can create the biggest, the, the ultimate goal. Ideally, it doesn't take you too long and it's on time and on budget. God, I'm saying that everything's on time and on yeah. budget. But that's the, the, the idea you should reconcile. Problem with. solving. Exactly. Does it go without saying that Elon Musk is the best engineer problem solver? Is he your favorite? What's the deal? He, he, I genuinely did like, you know, especially when I was in university, like he had an aura around him of, oh, he's like Iron Man. But the more I actually see him talk and I'm like, oh, he's, he's just... He's not an Iron Man or like a Robert, whatever you want to call that guy. Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey. <laughs> he's so synonymous. It's Stark. Stark guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But now I just seem like, oh, he's really just kind of crazy. You know, like he's not the engineer. He's the guy who made the right choices and got himself into this position. I look at someone like a... Um, Tim Apple, you know how Donald Trump calls uh, oh, Tim Cook. Tim Cook, yeah, that's funny. And, and then, Apple, and then Steve Jobs, right? Yeah, but then Steve Jobs before him, I said, okay, that was an engineer who managed to create a successful product, well engineered, and created a whole company around it. Whereas I feel like I look at Elon and I see with someone who's lost touch with what it means to create a collaborative environment, and lost touch with like, oh, not the common man doesn't really care about the concerns that I've put out into the world. Um, and I just think he's like very much like he's, he's like it, it, the easiest way to put it is like, I think he's a wacko, but the simple, but the more complex situations, I think he's lost touch with the common person as well as, um, not really taking an engineer's mentality to solving problems today. It's, it's such a weird thing. Cause I used to really admire him and his work, but then I realized that his work wasn't just his work. It was the work of so many others that have created, you know, the companies and products that we identify him with. And I, I see now it's like, oh, this kind of, it feels like I was, I was, it was a farce at first. He's not so personable anymore. Personable, but also like, I can see that he didn't, he had a hand in like saying yes and no, but he didn't really create. He didn't really sit there and build and problem solve. Maybe PayPal he did? One of his first companies? I think PayPal was, he had a part in, but then also it was through acquisition later on, it created the PayPal brand. Like, I think that there were many other people who played a role that we often forget about, especially in engineering. Like you, you see like with sales and engineering, sometimes at companies, it's like the engineer is often the second person that's thought of right. rather than the salesperson, rather than um, the person on the front lines. But they're just as important, if not more important to the ultimate process. Right. That's like developing a building. You know, you had the people who are collecting the finances and then you have the people who are actually there putting the steel down. Right. You mentioned Steve Jobs. What's something that really impresses you about the iPhone? I, I, I think the most impressive thing about the iPhone is that everyone has an iPhone. 
There is no there is no rich person iPhone and there's no poor man iPhone. There is just the iPhone. It's something used by executive and it's used by Dorothy down the street. Um, that alone to create a product that's so ubiquitous across different lifestyles and experiences is the most impressive thing I could even imagine. You go to a car, right? You see that there's a luxury car. There's the Mercedes-Benz S-Class, well-fitted seats. This is $90,000. And you're like, okay, yeah, this this is for the executive. This is for that, this person. And then you go see the beat upon the cord that's still running. You're like, yeah, this is for this person. Um, but th- that does not exist for the iPhone. That's crazy. I feel like it's really the one of the only things that that exists like that. The, maybe you'll see somebody carrying like an essential water, but mm-hmm. it costs a little bit more for one person than the other, maybe. And it's it's pretty much every product I can think of. Apple is the only company where, oh, everyone has it as is. There and is the no Mac too. And Macs as well. And all their their headphones, AirPods, AirPods the iPhones, the the computers, even I think down to like the VR things that they're trying to do. Oh damn. What do you think about that? It's like a four thousand dollar headset, right? Thirty nine fifty. Thirty. I think it's like thirty five hundred something. Yeah, that, too much. I'm not spending money on it, but like that's my thing is, um, it's that's a technology that I feel like is not in its infancy, but definitely in the early stages. And frankly, I don't find much use out of it. It's cool, right? It's cool. I could get to play a game, a VR game, in my living room, and I'm swinging around the sword. Like, yeah, that's great, but I don't think it helps me any way in my life. It doesn't solve a problem. Yeah, I don't feel like there's anything it would add to my current existence that says like, yeah, I'm going to drop three thousand dollars. At this. the moment, it feels like that. But I could see something in the future when it becomes less clunky and you go to Colombia and you need immediate translation in the glasses that you're using. And so you can communicate with people better. That's something that I would think that yeah. in a few years would become like more usable. I think but besides that. Yeah, I can't see so many uses. For do, you, it. do you remember Google glasses? You remember those? Yeah, but they, it, didn't, it didn't even really feel like that had a life. It didn't have a life. It also, like, I don't feel like it didn't really work. But that's the idea to me where it's like, oh, you can create this, like, not virtual reality, but, like, augmented reality where you're still interacting with the world around you. But there's, like, a couple extra additions. There's, like, a, you know, a little heads-up display. There's more information. Maybe you can contact people, like, through the glasses or record things. Like, there's... It's like life plus is like, that's the goal is you want to reach, you want to reach life plus. If you can get life plus in a product, then I'll look into it. Yeah. Um, is Steve Jobs the most impressive engineer though? Getting back to that. That you can think of, or is there somebody else? I, I'm thinking back further. I look like Nikola Tesla. Nikola Tesla. He's someone with a crazy, again, crazy mind, a huge creator inventor. I, I look to Da Vinci as one of the first Ooh. people. Yeah, because he, he did everything. The graphs and shit. The graphs, like Leonardo human anatomy and, and invention. He tried to, there's like a sketch of him create like of like the first helicopter. He never actually built it, but that's the kind of Renaissance man that I see as one of the first iterations of the modern engineer. Someone who saw problems and tried to either sketch out or create the actual solutions on top of being a worldly person who enjoyed art and music and all these other things and um, created like, you know, something positive to bring to the world at large. Uh, Like he obviously everything he wrote down didn't come to fruition. He didn't create everything that he sketched around, but 
that doesn't mean that he didn't have an engineer's mindset or the idea to solve problems that he sees in the day to day. What's something that he created that is pretty much the same as today, like a helicopter that you were saying, or is there another example? I think that one ha- is like close ish to the modern concept of the uh, helicopter. There's things missing because I don't think he has like a tail um, rotor because he didn't really understand how uh, rotational forces work and how you need to balance that. That's a whole another thing. I think his. Um, I think he did work. I can't some. I, I can't verify this off the top of my head, but he did do like, uh, like plumbing things, or he he sketched and actually implemented like modern plumbing systems that we would look at. It's like, oh, this actually could work in a modern city. Um, and then I do just find his art to be at another level. He is a you know a good mind that can understand like what beauty is and what uh could really bring out the the joy in like very fine and detailed renaissance art what's a fascinating engineering feat that you see maybe and you're like whoa how do they even do that oh that's a good yeah yeah yeah. that's a deep one i'll say two things one i'll find myself walking around lower manhattan and i just like i'll still look up like a tourist yeah oh my god me too bro because i used to work in real estate but nobody does that yeah but it's unreal but like look up it's like wait a minute that thing is a hundred floors up and looking at (laughs) though and like oh yeah we all just kind of like accept it that it's there and meanwhile like you had to like that took years to build there's tons of steel and materials and people we just accepted as in our day-to-day it's like we had to put it up there like that wasn't what do you there think when we about started. the py- pyramids in egypt so i i think that they're i think people get a lot a little crazy and conspiratorial with them and like you can have your thoughts and whatever but i just think like if you get a lot of people together with a common goal and you you know you whip them a little bit humanity can do a lot um i think they're impressive to take in them in is insane to imagine that they've been here for thousands and thousands of years i don't think that like the aliens built them yeah. like have a little credit for us like this, uh, people put this together we we don't have to credit aliens for it you know um i will say that like it is a very it's a simple structure, a pyramid with all the chambers. It's very impressive, but the the things that we have been able to accomplish since then have taken more of my attention. You think skyscrapers in New York City are it's the most impressive feat? That that's one thing, and then the second thing I I always look at it is is dams. It, it's a very weird thing to immediately say like, well, it's just some concrete. Yeah, bro. I rarely think of dams, but it's like one Niagara Falls. <laughs> I mean, uh, well, I have a beaver friend who thinks about it all the time. <laughs> Uh, he's very well versed, but to think of it, it's, it's like, it's one of the examples of humanity looking at nature and saying, I can do that better. It's where we saying not just, Oh, I'm, I'm going to build something like I'm going to conquer the forces of nature and make it to my advantage. Modern dams are able to create reservoirs and lakes. They create that, which we just kind of think exists. We terraform the land to be to our specification and then create power from it, create infrastructure around how, it. How to create power from it. So when you have like a, a dam, right? So there's water being held back by the dam and it's in a lake. Um, and there's some water that's always let through to through the dam to you know create this little river, right? What happens is if you stick a turbine in the middle of that somewhere such that the flowing water spins this turbine, if you spin a, a conductor around electrical wire, uh, or a magnet around electrical wire, you'll create an electric current, i.e. power, you can plug that into the grid, congratulations, you've just got you know a power source by the virtue of turning the f- kinetic energy of the water moving through from a higher place to a lower place, you can convert that to electricity. It's, 
And there's a lot of stuff. There's safety, there's uh, controls, there's backups, there's all these things that are around and surround a dam and its infrastructure. But that's the goal. It's a, to just get something spinning enough and then you can create electricity. The, the, I think the funniest thing is that that's pretty much how all power generation works, no matter what you think. Coal, oil, nuclear, they're all like dams. They're all just trying to do one thing and that's just spin something. That's it. That's well, what it comes down to. I'll tell you to. what, Brooks, you got my head spinning. <laughs> you got my head spinning. I'd say this is a perfect place to freaking wrap it up. Brooks, thanks so much for coming on the pod. This was great, dude. Thank you for having me. This was an amazing conversation. Of course. So uh, we're going to pop up your Instagram right here. Let us know where we can find you, Brooks. And uh, if you have any uh, exciting comedy dates coming up, let us know. Yeah, sure. So uh, you can find me on Instagram, TikTok at Brooks Tall. Let's go. That oh, that's how you pronounce it. Yeah. Well, no. So the last name is pronounced Towel. But when you translate it into English, it means tall. And uh, the my five foot four self sees the irony <laughs> in it all. It. Yeah, I think my uh, ancestors were comedians. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, so you can find me uh, at Brooks Tall Instagram, TikTok, um, Twitter, wherever you get your social media needs. Uh, I'm running, producing a couple shows. Uh, Sunday, August thirteenth, the Chicago show. Love right that. St. Mark's Comedy oh, Club. I saw that. I saw yeah, that. yeah. I'm gonna bring back the stash for that one. We're gonna see if I can get the mustache going for that. You're gonna leave the mustache and then shave the beard around it. Shave the beard. Around it You've been a stash guy before, for yeah, for like a, I did the first run of the show. I did a Chicago accent. I was doing oh, all that stuff. The yeah, hot dogs yeah. and shit. The hot Chicago dogs, dogs. Hot dogs. Yeah. Um, so that's I'm mean, be doing that on August 13th. Also, running another show, Respect Your Elders, a comedy show for the ages, on uh, August 29th, which is a Tuesday. And other than that, putting out more comedy videos on my Instagram and seeing what else I'm going to tour around. Love it. Follow along, guys. Brooks, thanks so much, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening. We'll see you next time. Peace.